It's always, in my opinion, been a place where just about anybody could feel comfortable. Mm. So, you know, you could be standing alongside of some seriously sort of dodgy characters, but some very wealthy people, some uh, from judges to bricklayers, you sure. name it. And that's, that's what I've always sort of loved about the Exeter and tried to maintain. Welcome back to The Forager. I'm Nicole Hart, and once again, so happy to be joined by a man who knows everything that's going on, food, wine, entertainment here in Adelaide, Josh Fanning, who is the publisher of City Mag. Welcome back, Josh. Thanks, Nicole. Good to be back. Now, I hazard a guess that you would have spent many, oh, maybe an afternoon or an evening, at the Exeter Hotel in Rundle Street, because it is, after all, an Adelaide institution. Yeah, it's it's iconic, isn't it? Really, it's sort of undoubtedly it it defines a little piece in a lot of people's hearts. And actually, more than in the bar, I actually lived above the bar, um, not in the building, but in those really shabby um, we might like to call them chic <laughs> <laughs> apartments. They're actually condemned, and we found out after living there for a year and a half, and then they had to pay back our rent, which. Was incredible. Happy days. Yeah, it was a it was a time in our life. That's for sure. And <laughs> a lot of that time was spent in the accident. And so, having spent that time there, you would have got to know uh, a said gentleman by the name of Kevin Gregg, who, of course, is the publican at the Exeter, and a really unique but lovable character, in my view. Yeah, I think I think you've you've always got to qualify that when you're talking about Kevin, because people might not who don't know Kevin <laughs> might not know that he is lovable, but he's he's absolutely that definitive laconic Australian where there's very few words, but they're always quite meaningful and thoughtful. And you know, he's for me the epitome of a bartender, but more than that, a publican. Yeah, it's interesting because he he reflected in our conversation uh, about the fact that somebody once said to him, you you don't like people, which is strange for a public. And he said, what do you mean? I do like people. And that in itself is one of those conversations that kind of reflects the character that Kevin is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's about scratching the surface. And I think the great thing about the Exeter is that you've got to earn your stripes in that pub. And I think the people that like that and get it, they stick around and the others go to the Austral. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I love bagging the Austral because they've got the sunny side of the street as well. Like that is what no one appreciates about the Exeter is its amazing uh, ability to be so popular and on the cold side of the street because, you know, the Austral's got that sun but the Exeter's got the soul. You used, when we were talking earlier, a quote of Hemingway, and I thought it was pretty apt, actually. <laughs> the idea that, um, you know, I know the dollar fifty words, but why use those when a 10-cent word will do? Yeah, I think that sums up, Kevin. <laughs> and the, the role of the Exeter, I, you know, reflected upon it myself and the fact that in my uni days, it, it was a regular haunt. And from time to time now, you're wandering down Rundle Street and you kind of feel compelled just to pop in and have one. Yeah, it's it's the Cheers Bar of, of Adelaide and it's one of those places where you want to check in and you want to do that familiar thing. And the fact that, you know, we're living in this city now with so many more bars and so many more beers and yet the same beers are on the tap of the Exeter. So, you know, it is the best Cooper's sparkling you can get. And black and tan and port is a probably still $3 for a butcher. And <laughs> all these great classic items that really just feel like home. And then you throw in, of course, a bit of Krug and some good food. 
and the fact that it is a haunt of a lot of winemakers. The Krug Krug story is incredible. I understand that the head of Krug Worldwide, uh, a beautiful Frenchman is is how he was described to me, was was taken to the Exeter because he's heard about the fact that the Exeter sells Krug almost at cost price or bottle shop prices, we might say. And and he understood when he came in that they serve it in a butcher glass, which is a 200ml sort of beer glass. And he loved this idea. And the head of Krug Worldwide said on the spot, we're going to get you some crystal butcher glasses and engrave them. And so I, I think right now, if you order Krug at the Exeter, you'll, you'll have a fancy Krug glass. Indeed you will. <laughs> he, he does tell us that story. And it, it is. It's it's reflective of the role of the Exeter that you can be the, you know, the man behind the brand of Krug or you can be a local artist just hanging out having a beer. Mm. It doesn't matter. The Exeter will be there for you. It's a true front bar. Love it. Kevin, welcome to Forager. Thank you. You're a bit of an institution here in South Australia, aren't you? Oh, well, I don't know about me, but I, you know, I, I work in what some people would consider to be an institution, yeah. Not me personally. Oh, I don't know. I think they kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Look, it's, it's my job and I love it. But, yeah, I love the pub too. Yeah. So how would you describe the role of the Exeter in the social fabric of South Australia? Oh, golly, that's a tricky one. Uh, I knew the previous owner, Nick, who was here for 15 years before we, we bought the we bought the place nearly 20 years ago. So Nick was here for 15 years, and uh, I was, I'm a, still a friend of Nick's, and I used to drink here. And uh, it's always, in my opinion, been a place where just about anybody from any walk of life could feel comfortable. Mm. It was ju- it's, it's just always had a unique... Uh, a uniqueness to it that, uh, you know, a woman could be sitting at the bar on her own, having a glass of wine and reading the paper or whatever, and look and feel quite at ease and comfortable with the situation. And and at the same time be, you know, standing alongside of some, you know, fairly interesting characters, to say the least. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, so it's, it, it's you know, it, it's hard for me to put my finger on what makes it like that but it, it, that's that's something that I've that I always loved about the place you know you could be standing alongside of some seriously sort of dodgy characters <laughs> but some very wealthy people some uh, talented you know just all walks of life from judges to doctors to you know artists to you know bricklayers to you sure. name it and everybody while they all sort of minded their own business, they all respected each other's space. And, and that's, that's what I've always sort of loved about the Exeter and tried to maintain. And it's, oh, hopefully it still works, yeah. Where do you think that, and, and I, I know you said it's hard to put your finger on, but where do you think that sort of gravitas comes from in terms of people feeling so comfortable in the space? Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. It's something that goes through my mind occasionally. I look around and I think, gee, you know, how's this all sort of fitting in together? <laughs> um, but I don't know whether it's the fact that the place looks like it's been like it is forever. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that may make people think, oh, well, you know, there's nothing going on here that's uh, pretentious or fancy. You know, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. As I said, look, I really can't nail it down. And, uh, and I say to myself every now and then, there's some sort of justification, I guess. But I think if you 
if I try and overanalyze or overthink it, you're in danger of perhaps trying to be too clever. Unravel it almost. It, it, maybe, maybe. And, you know, one thing I never ever thought I was very clever, so I just <laughs> let it just run its course. Uh, you know, there are times when something mightn't quite work or fit and whatever, but uh, generally things sort themselves out, yeah. And you made quite a deliberate choice when you took over 20 years ago to say, we don't want to change a lot here. It was an interesting set of circumstances. I'd been in hotels for a number of years and my circumstances changed and I basically needed something to do. I needed a job. And uh, and a dear friend of mine who I had known for many years, another publican, and he had the money, I didn't have the money, and I said, look, um, there's an opportunity that's going to come up and I think I can do it I think I can make it work um, but I haven't got the money to buy it and anyway we discussed it and, uh, and and it was totally alien to everything that he thought how a pub should be he's a suburban publican a very very successful suburban publican and he didn't quite get the gist of the joint and I always remember saying to saying to him when we finally sat down and he said look yeah look, we'll do it we'll do it you run it, etc. We'll become partners, but I want, at the time, his oldest son, who was um, only a low twenties. He said he's got to come in with you, and he said I want you to sort of take him under your wing a bit and see if you can sort of teach him a bit about life and pub game, etc., etc. So anyway, that was part of the you know part of the discussion, whatever. And anyway, when we got here, when we came here, and uh, and uh, in the first week, and it was all a bit chaotic because it was lead up to Christmas 2000. And I said, look, mate, I said uh, there's something I'm going to have to say to you that really, you know you're probably going to have trouble understanding. I said, but the hardest thing you're going to have to deal with in this place is you've got to do nothing. (laughs) And he looked at, and I can still look at, I can still see the look on his face. And he said, what do you mean do nothing? He said, I'm not going to work there. I said, no, 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 I don't, I know that. I know, that's not what I meant. What I meant by doing nothing was we are to do nothing. I said, I know it's your want it's your predisposition to want to change things, to want to update things, to want to renew things, to want to reinvent things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I said, here, it's the opposite. We are to do nothing. Anything that we do is to be done behind the scenes that nobody can recognise, nobody can put a finger on, and nothing changes. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, it's your pub. You run it. You know, you run it. Uh, he, said, I'm, I, he said, I'm not going to come to work there. And I said, no, no, good, OK, leave it with me. He, and then, well, it was very funny. It's a very funny... Well, it's not... Yeah, it is a bit of a funny story in a way because it wasn't that long later that uh, he rings up, Kev, I'm coming to lunch. I've got a couple of mates. Uh, can we sit up on the, uh, on the veranda, up on the balcony? I said, yeah, sure, 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 come on in. So anyway, he came in and one of the mates happened to be a well-known architect who had done numerous big developments on pubs. Sure. Well, it was only within a matter... <laughs> I can you can see, see where, where this is going. going. <laughs> exactly. Well, it was only a matter of uh, one or two maybe bottles of red, I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, this, this joint was renovated. You know, like, it was... Big. In their minds. In their minds. They had, they had drawn things on the pieces of paper and whatever, and, and I'm down the down in the bar working when I would come up and I sit down at their end of their lunch and whatever and so oh you know and I, I said no no look 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 stop none of this is happening and 
the architect looked at me and said, well, what do you mean? And I said, no, no, no. I said, uh, Greg understands what I mean. You probably don't understand what I mean. I'm not going to bother going through it with you. I said, but none of this <laughs> is happening. Not, not, not even a single thing is going to happen to what you've discussed today. We've never really been friends since that day, actually. <laughs> but I did hold, I did hold on, and uh, my partner was, uh, the next morning he said, yeah, yeah, I think you might be right. Let's, <laughs> let's leave it for a while, shall we? So, so that's, why we, that's where we are today. One of the things that I absolutely love about it is that it doesn't matter who you talk to. I mean, I can talk to someone who's just coming through university now, or I can talk to somebody who's in their 70s. And they'll all have had experiences at the Exeter. They'll all have been through its doors at one point in time or another. And it's almost like, it doesn't matter how long it's been since you've been here, when you walk in, there's almost a sense of comfort and home about it. It's kind of like, and you say that comes from the fact that nothing changes, but it it kind of intersperses with people's lives at different times of their lives. Would that be a fair assessment? Very much so. Well put, really, because each year... Intake of uni, we see a few brave young souls who come in, and it, it, look, it is quite—it's quite, you know. And I'm not—I'm not—I'm not. You a, keep yourself entertained, I'm don't you? I'm not a, you know, I'm not a softy or anything like that, you know. But it's quite endearing when the, you know, you see this kid, these kids, and you know, they come in, and it happens every year, and they come in and they order a jug, a pail, and in one hand they got their nowadays their credit card, in the other days it used to be a ten-dollar bill or whatever, and their ID. And I always think that is so cool, <laughs> these kids standing there. And I know that if they've got their ID, they're 18. So I never even look at it. I never even acknowledge it. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, generations, generations. And we've still got kids working with us here. Well, they're not kids now. We've got people working, like adults, I guess I have to call them. They started here at 18 when they started uni, and some of them are still here now. There's a, there's a, a guy working here now. He's got his PhD in literature. He started here as an 18-year-old kid. He's in a partnership. He's got there's children. He's a budding author. He still does two to three shifts at the Exeter each week, whether it's doing the boots work, whether it's doing bar work or whatever. There's kids been here their entire working life been overseas. I think my record is one kid, a kid called Lockie. I think he had five starts. Brilliant. I think he had five starts between trips overseas, trips interstate, having a crack at something different, back he comes. He's now finally gone. But anyway. Gets in your blood and can't get out. No, no, no. Because it becomes, to a lot, becomes their social life. A lot of them, they, you know, and I don't know of any staff member that I've ever employed. I can't put my finger on a staff member Oh, yes, I can, one, and that's a very odd one. But uh, the staff employ themselves, each other. They, they sort of employ each other, and that is why I think we've got such um, a group of people that don't leave. It's because they employ each other. They won't let each other down. It's like a family. It, it is in a sense that somebody's younger friend or friend of a younger brother will get a, or sister will get a job here, and they won't let the older person down. And as I said, you know, I have, I have had very little impact on employing um, staff. You know, I, I remember coming here 
at the start of the fringe and I walked in and there's this kid. I said, you right? He said, I work here. I said, <laughs> do you? He said, yeah. He said, I generally do Friday and Saturday nights. And I said, oh, that would explain it because I don't work at night. But, just, yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. There is a, a funny story of a girl, the one person who I will take credit for employing. And, um, you know, it was an interest, interesting situation. She turned, this kid turns up and she's got a black shirt on, a black shirt with, I think it was a green sort of iridescent type tie. No, 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 she might not have had a tie. She had green hair, that's right. <laughs> she might have had a tie. And she was determined not to get a job. She just didn't want a job. This kid <laughs> didn't want a job. She'd been to a very, very exclusive private school and she had a few issues with different things and whatever, but she didn't want a job. But she'd been told, I think, by the CES, you've got to go and start applying. So I think she went out of her way to make herself as little as possible to be employed. She came in and I thought, no, I can pick something here. I can pick something, this kid, Danny. I'll use her name, she won't mind. I said, you can start Friday, Danny. She said, what? I said, yeah, you can start Friday. She said, I've got the job. I said, yeah, you have. I said, you can start. From... She's still here. Oh, She's wow. still here. She is still here 12 years later. Oh, how magnificent. You know, it's, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I, as I said, I can't put a finger on it. I, 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 really, I really struggle. Can you describe the style of service? I would like to say attentive, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it would perhaps depend on the conversation they're having at the time. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I would certainly say it's non-discriminatory. Nobody. They don't look at somebody. You know, there's, there's probably one thing that, that might sort of uh, cause you to be served a little slower than you should be, and that would be bad manners. Yeah. And uh, there's, if there's one thing I've been a stickler for is manners. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you are, it doesn't matter how much money you got. Manners are free, and uh, they should be used. Bad manners. I don't think there's a place in a pub for bad manners. Brilliant. It's, it's one of the one of the few things you can say please and thank you. Uh, it's one of it's, it's just one of those funny things, I suppose. Call it old fashioned if you will, but you know, it's one of those things. Yeah. You walk in here and, and the smell of food just wafting from the kitchen at yeah. 11.30 in the morning is, is just awesome. Food's always played a, a big role in the pub here. Yeah, it has. It has. Nick before me, once again, I'd go back to Nick. You know, like Nick, whether Nick had the courage or whether it was just out of desperation or whatever, but he employed a young bloke here in the kitchen, a young bloke called Chong. <laughs> and, uh, you know, radical, radical. This, <laughs> Chong Lu, uh, and Nick employed him. And, uh, you know, Chong Lu put a Luxa on the menu at the Exeter, which is probably 30-something years ago. And Nick said, that shit will never sell. <laughs> well, you know, it's still on the menu, and I reckon probably every pub over the course of years has put a Luxa on the menu. Uh, so food, I think the, the fact that we have sort of had good food or, or, or attempted to have good food on the menu is that um, the pub, because of the proximity to the uni and whatever and young winemakers doing their winemaking courses or whatever and wanting to drink wine and then attracting people who, if because they want to drink wine, they want to drink, eat some decent or interesting food with it. Mm-hmm. I think it went hand in hand and Nick, to his credit, and I must say at this stage, and it's, Philip White had a role in this pub that... Um, Certainly in the last 35 years, which is all I can speak about really from Nick's day to my day, with the introduction of 
interesting wines on the list, and one in particular. Yes. He, he was certainly instrumental in putting, getting Krug put on the list. You know, Nick being Nick would have sort of thought, oh, champagne at that price, nobody will buy that. You know, here's the, here's the man that would not sell cashews because they were above $2 a packet where peanuts were a dollar, you know, like. So to put a bottle of Krug on the menu was pretty, pretty radical. But Philip, Philip White was responsible for that. And that led hand in hand to the, the, the acknowledgement of having good food to go with the wine, I guess. And, we, and we've, we've tried to continue that. So, you know, and we're, we're lucky. We've got, we've got a guy in the kitchen uh, who, by trade, is a paver. That is his trade. Wow. Uh, he is such a good cook. Uh, he, he's not only a good cook, he is a great kitchen manager, manager of people, Callum is, Callum, you know, I, I thank my lucky stars every day that I come to work that Callum's here because, you know, if there's one thing in pubs, uh, there's one thing, there's one constant that is always a difficult constant, and that is the cook or the chef or whatever you wish to call them. And Callum has just been so strong for us. He's out in the kitchen now cooking away. I can so, smell yeah. it. It's beautiful. And it seems to me as you're talking that you clearly have an eye for people. I mean, you, you're, a pe- you're, you're a people person in that you can pick... Some would, you, some would, some would debate that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm catching on here because you're finding the right people and you're creating the opportunities. Those people then have to take those opportunities and run with them. But, you know, you've told two stories since we've got together of two different individuals who perhaps were not classically positioned to be working necessarily in the bar or in the kitchen but you've yeah. seen something in them you've seen some magic and and they've clearly rewarded that too I, mean, uh, that, that's a, I, I, I don't know I think you'll give me a little bit more credit than I deserve for that I think I've been lucky then no, no, I don't know having said that I, I guess I've always been somebody who thinks people should be given a chance there you that, go that's, we got there that's, <laughs> <laughs> well I can tell you a funny story about that you know while, while we're talking about you know I can always remember when I first started work in a pub which is a long long time ago and I, it's over 40 years ago Shh. yeah I know I know I know no I don't I, I don't know I do not re, I do not resolve from my age I'm 66 and you know and uh, I started this started this job when I was 18 and I always remember the guy I started work for is my business partner in this pub. That's how far we go back. That's superb. And as of yet, I've never had a crossword. <laughs> um, but I always remember him saying to me, him saying, look, Kev, he said, you know, he said, you've got a bit of a knack for working behind a bar and talking to people and being a publican and whatever. He said, but, he said, mate, he said, yeah, what, just, why don't you like people a bit more? <laughs> and I said... <laughs> that's I said, part of the attraction, yeah, exactly. I said, uh, look... <laughs> I said, Greg, I said, you know, I do like people. I said, I just don't, maybe just don't show it. He said, but it's almost like you don't like people. I said, no, no, no. I said, I don't dislike people. I said, but I just have trouble showing that I like them. He said, well, do you reckon you could... I said, well, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. And here I am, you know, what, 48 years later, and I'm still working on it. But, but as for staff, no, it's staff are different because staff is about... I think everybody deserves a crack. They want to have a go. They'll be given a go, I think. I I think that's what I try and work on. I think, I don't know. Now, you mentioned the Krug before. Mm. How often do people order it? You know, look, it's it's a weird thing. There was a time, um, and I'm not sure when exactly, there was a time when uh, we were, the pub was the biggest selling Krug outlet in certainly South Australia and possibly Australia. 
And that was, as I said, I'll go back to what I said before, and that was to do with Philip White and to do with young winemakers. You know, sure. we've had, you know, over the years, we've had some people drink here as students, and I think probably some of them might have done most of their study in the pub, <laughs> um, who have gone on to become very, very well-known winemakers. I mean, household name winemakers. And uh, so Crook's just been one of those things. It's just been one of those things in the pub. Nobody makes a big deal of it, you know? Nobody ma- it's just one of those things. And anyway, we've just got a little thing going at the moment with Krug, where Olivia Krug, who, Olivia's father, Henri Krug, became friends with Philip White. And um, anyway, so they've done an edition, which we're on our 166th edition of non-vintage Krug, and they decided they would get butcher glasses, the old South Australian butcher glass, etched with the Krug symbol. I love it. On it, and with the Exeter written on the back, with a number on it, 1 to 166. And so anybody now who buys a bottle of Krug, they get a butcher glass either to drink it out of or to take the butcher glass home. <laughs> it's, just been, it's just been amazing. And it's, it's brought people out of the woodwork who obviously over the time have had a bottle of Krug here or have read about it and come and uh, say, look, have you got number 33 glass? <laughs> Uh, it's my daughter's 33rd birthday or something like that. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, just, it's, so that's just been one of, those, just one of those funny little things. How uh, many numbers do you have left? I don't know. <laughs> you know it's just something, exactly. I don't think... That yeah. is what I love because yeah, uh, you don't care whether you're selling a bottle of Krug or whether you're selling somebody a schooner of beer. Precisely, precisely. A bottle, if somebody walks in and they have a bottle of Krug, I think, well, that's nice. They're obviously celebrating something, that's nice. But equally, if somebody walks in and they say, you know, it's a cold day, give us a pint of stout, Kev. You know, I really feel, you know, it's such... I said, look, I'm equally as happy. There's nothing elitist about drinking a bottle of Krug. It's no. something that people do because they choose to do it. It's, sure. You know, the people who drink it because they think it's elitist, well, they might... <laughs> they probably don't get it, I guess. <laughs> uh, and that, that's the interesting thing because, you know, there were a group of young winemakers and wine writers and they decided it was wanky to drink Krug out of champagne glasses, you know, and they thought, God, you know, we were like a bunch of knobs sitting here with champagne glasses. So, look, give us five butchered glasses for dinner. I said, yeah, sure, and they drank, didn't worry me. I couldn't give a rap for what they drank it out of, as long as they were paying for it, they are drinking it. So, five butchered glasses. And it became a bit of a thing then that these guys would drink Krug out of butchered glasses, and then it just sort of grew its own life. And then eventually, uh, Olivia Krug heard about it, and he came here one day when he was in town, when he was in Adelaide. And uh, the guy bought him here said, you've got to have it out of one of these glasses. <laughs> and, and I can't do a French accent. He said, this is a butcher? I said, well, yeah, that's a, that's a butcher, you know. He said, I like it. And, uh, so that's, and the rest is history. And that, that, and that's, that's, where it, that's where it came to be, yeah. There's also some classic stories told about uh, another permanent guest in the pub, in uh, that I understand you've got a resident ghost, is that? <laughs> uh, look, you know, I'm sure there is. If, if you believe in ghosts, I'm sure there is <laughs> one up there. I'm, look, you know, and, and, and I have to, you know, I don't want to offend anybody by saying this, but I don't believe in ghosts. Uh, I, you know, I've never seen one and I, I, I don't believe in ghosts. But, but I was upstairs one day and I swear <laughs> there was somebody standing in the passageway. But I think it might have just had a cracking hangover or something like that. I, I don't know. But there are people, and I've had people here from the Ghost Society or whatever they're called, whatever they're called uh, wanting to set up uh, cameras and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and, and anyway, that didn't quite work out. 
and, and I'm not sure where the ghost story came from, but there was um, many years back, I think it was 69, I'm not exactly sure of the date, uh, the landlady at the time was murdered here. She was murdered by a, uh, um, a cross lover, I think. In those days, the pub had resident, uh, had guests, house guests, yep. some long-term, some overnighters, etc., etc. So she had... There was a series of people staying upstairs. There's ten bedrooms upstairs, and she was having sort of friendly relationship with one of the guests. And anyway, she was murdered, uh, stabbed to death. And it became quite a famous case in South Australia because I think, and they actually, it's weird, it's, it's odd that the um, Crown Prosecutor, the first uh, case he did was the murder of this woman. And it still drinks here to this day. Uh, uh, I Is won't mention right? his name. Yeah, he went on to become a judge. And, a, you know, a well known judge and a great drinker. Uh, <laughs> and a great character. A great character more than anything. But could drink and be a character at the same time with, and be a good character. And that was his first, uh, first case as a prosecutor, was the murder of the woman at, at the pub. And um, so, as for the ghost, I don't know. But, yet, look, we've had people say, no, look, I, you know, I put plates up there and I've gone up there and those plates have been shifted. They have been moved. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, don't, <laughs> I can't say. I can't say it doesn't exist. I don't... I haven't seen it, so I don't believe it. But I did get a bit of a scare one day. But, yeah. <laughs> but as I said, that's because I could have had a bit of case of the fears from, you know, from the... Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is that this is a pub just filled with stories. Yeah, and, very much, very much. And, and every nook and cranny of it has a story to tell and everybody has a story to tell. And I think that's one of its true blessings. That, that's right. Look, we have people come in here and say, oh, you've changed the place. And I say, well, you know, not, not really. It's still the same nicotine yellow walls and whatever. And, uh, and that was another funny thing because we were the last pub in South Australia where you could smoke at the front bar because just weirdly, our front bar, between the front bar and the wall, there was not a, a two-metre span. So to smoke at the front bar, this is 2007, to smoke at the front bar, you had to be able to provide somebody with a metre back from the bar that yes. they could stand a metre back and you could stand <laughs> at the bar. And there was a, so there was a metre. Ridiculous. Yeah, not ridiculous. <laughs> but because we didn't have a two-metre gap, you could sit at the front bar and smoke. And it was quite, quite hilarious because that's why the walls are nicotine yellow, because the smoke was fairly thick. <laughs> but we'd have guys come in and they'd say, oh, you've changed, you've changed the joint. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, the last time I was here, there's a pool table. I said, well, when were you here last? Oh, not that long ago. I said, well, the pool table's been gone for 25 years. <laughs> oh, I've been on holidays. I said, where? He said, never you mind. <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly where he had been. <laughs> But, yeah, no, so it is. It's one of those things that people walk in and they immediately feel comfortable. And I think feeling comfortable goes back to where we started the conversation is that people feel comfortable. And another thing, another thing I think, uh, which I put down to, uh, to Nick again, um, that he did, he did flirt with the idea of having TV in here one stage many, many, many years ago maybe 30 years ago, in his very early days anyway, and um, he had the TV on and what, well, whatever may have been on, some guy came in and said, can you put such and such on? And the other bloke said, he said, no, I'm watching this. And the bloke mm. said, no, I want such. And so there's, it became this immediate thing of 
I want to watch, let's say, for argument's sake, I want to watch the footy. And the other bloke said, no, well, I want to watch the gardening show or, or, or the rugby or, or whatever. Sure. And you immediately got this thing that... Um, and, Divisive. Uh, and, and, and Nick removed it straight away. He said that was, that was the lesson to him, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like music. Like, we, we never change the music. No matter who walks in, if they say... Oh, I hate this music. I said, well, you know, so do I. I'm not listening, you know. Um, but it's what, it is what it is. Somebody's put it on, and when it's finished, they'll put something else on, and hopefully you'll like that. But if I change the music every time somebody said to me, I hate this music, I would be at that iPod thing we've got now in the old days. In the old days, the, the CD player. I would have been there flicking CDs out non-stop. Because, uh, you know, like, not everybody loves Johnny Cash. Um, but, but live music has played a real role yep, in yep. this hotel. And, yep. and the hotel has been a massive supporter yep. of the live music scene in South Australia. And, and they're few and far between nowadays. You know, and I keep going back to Nick. But Nick did start the live music in the pub. Um, and I can tell you the name of the very first band that played here. And it played on a Sunday afternoon. It was called Exploding White Mice. <laughs> whatever that might have meant back in those days. But I just remember it because it was such a stupid name. But, but anyway, oh, they, didn't, they didn't think. But anyway, they played here. And so that, that got Nick on the roll with, um, with live music. For many, many years, the old, what we lovingly call the beer garden, which is essentially a, you know, an added-on tin shed um, <laughs> at the back of the pub, um, that's where the bands played, and you know I can tell you now we those walls used to vibrate. They would they would vibrate with the sound of the band. We were, behind us was a massive council-owned car park, so we had no immediate neighbours. Yeah, and the, you could go and put your hand on the back wall, and it would be vibrating with the sound of the. It was just crazy. It was great stuff. It was crazy, <laughs> but anyway, you know times have changed. Times have changed. They built an apartment behind us. You know, the guy I won't that, start you on that. No, no, no. Anyway, I'm over that. I was a bit cross <laughs> at the time. But, you know, the, the guy... They, 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 once again, I was a bit slack. But the, the guy said to me when he was building departments, he said, oh, you don't, don't worry about the music, don't worry about the music. He said, I'll soundproof your beer garden. He said, I've got... You know, he said, I'm a builder. He said, I've got cranes. He said, I'll lift the top in, put it over. And I thought, that's cool. You know, that'd be great. And, uh, well, the prick never did. And... Uh, <laughs> and um, What's more, the moment, the moment he had one apartment open, he put his daughter in there and then got her to start complaining about the music. So we, had to ch- so we brought the bands up to the front of the pub, um, which, which, which changed it drastically, but we never let up. We just, we just changed the music a little bit from really heavy rock and roll to now it's a little bit more... A little bit more a little bit, little, little less heavy, um, and we do a bit of acoustic stuff, but not a lot. But we still play live bands, and they're all still original band. They all play original songs, um, and, and we still pay them next to nothing. The poor devils. I always, <laughs> I always think to myself, you know, these six kids turn up, and I think, you know, it's cost you more to get here in the taxi than I'm going to pay you. But they're obviously going to have a great time, and they all get a free jug. <laughs> there we go. They all get a free jug at the end of it, so uh, or the start of it in some cases. But um, yeah. What do you hope for the future of the pub and your role within it? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you just I, take every day as it comes. Yeah, I look. Look, I still love coming to work. I come to work. Uh, I still come to work seven mornings. Uh, you know, I don't work any nights anymore. You know, I don't look. I, you know, I've got people who come in. It's like like my lounge in a way, or my house. They walk in. Good day. Good day. Good day. You got the paper? Yeah. Okay. 
and stand and chat. I'd go about and do my stuff. But I don't know, you know, I had, I, I got two kids and uh, they're both, they both worked here. Both of them worked here while they're at uni and whatever. But they've both gone on and done other things, so they won't come to the pub t- to work as such. Um, but I've got a great young partner. Um, a number of years ago, uh, the opportunity came for us to buy the Crown and Anchor because the guy was there and he wanted out. And um, I said to my business partner, I said, look, I said, we should buy this, we should buy this joint. He said, it's just up the... I said, yeah, I know, it's just up the road. I said, but we should buy it. I said, because the worst thing that could happen to the Exeter... I said, because it is very much like a sister pub to the Exeter. Mm. It's very much like a sister. They, they think like we do, they work like we do, they play music like we do. There's so much they do that fits with us. The last thing that we want is for some guy or person or people to buy that pub and suddenly turn it into a shit house. Yep. Suddenly turn it into something that we're not comfortable with, that doesn't fit our neighbourhood. You know, we close here at two o'clock in the morning and, you know, our, the la- our last punters put their glass down and they wander up the Crown and Anchor because they close at three. Yep. Uh, and it's always been that way. And the Crown and Anchor guys would come down and drink here with their knockoffs, and our guys would go up there and drink up there. It was anyway. I said to my partner, I said, "Look, we should buy the joint." And uh, anyway, we talked about it, talked about it, and we did. And we bought, uh, we bought the land, we bought the, bought the pub and the business, and and we. Uh, I had a great young lad. Well, I say they're great young lads. They're all younger than me, but he was high thirties, and he'd been here long enough with me, and he was ready for a change, and he was in a relationship with a lovely person, and. Uh, and I said, look, Dan, I said, um, I've got a great opportunity. I said, we're going to buy the Crown Anchor and I want you to take it over and run it. And it basically be your pub. I said, because I don't want a, I don't want another job. Um, and anyway, he went up there and uh, he ran it. And he ran it pretty much like I taught him how I run this place. And so everything remained the same. And mm-hmm. it was lovely. And it was lovely. And then a developer came along and he wanted to buy it. Yep. And it was one of those opportunities and, and he said, well, he, you know, he said, well, I'm going to buy it. He said, I'm going to build apartments uh, and whatever. And I thought, oh, shivers, you know, here we go. If we don't sell it to him, he builds apartments alongside of us. Um, suddenly we're going to have to change this pub so much that it won't exist like it exists now. And you won't like it. And it wouldn't be, wouldn't be good for us. And so anyway, I said, we sat down and we t- talked about it. And we said, yeah, we sold it. And so suddenly then I had a, um, a guy up there working that I'd promised uh, something to and, um, and uh, we had to say, look, we're selling. And uh, I said to my business partner, I said, look, we're going to do the right thing here. I said, uh, we're going we're gonna to get that guy back here and we're going to sell him a share in this pub. Nice. And so we did. We both sold him 5% each of our shares into the pub. And so he's got a 10% share and he basically runs it with me, for me, brilliant. without me, <laughs> which is how he likes it. When I, when I take a day off, he likes it. Um, um, I'm, not, I'm not looking over his shoulder. Um, so, so, yeah, that I've got to I could walk, I could walk away tomorrow and I don't think anybody would know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, there'd be a whole bunch no, of old hundreds people and might hundreds know. and hundreds of customers who'd be going, where's Kev? Old people might know. Oh, Kids wouldn't out. know. Kids wouldn't know. And, and they'd probably be pleased to see the back of the rude old, well, rude that, old bars. The that that says, that, did you say thank you? you know, that, like, that guy that doesn't like people. <laughs> and you know, like, it's a, you know, jug. I said, yeah, and? 
There's another word that goes with that, and it's please, you know. You know, for someone that's never listened to a podcast in their life, you've done extremely well. Podcast. <laughs> What's that? No, 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 no. I do know what a podcast you is. because star in one now. One of my kids well, – no, no, I think one of the kids at the pub put podcast on my phone, but I haven't worked out yet how. Because apparently you've got to put things in your ears and, and – and that's how it works. I'll yeah. send you a copy of this one. <laughs> Thank you. It's Thank been you. such a delight. But the pleasure's been mine, and I hope I haven't bored you because, uh, you know, I don't oh. usually talk this much. Heck no. Stories. There are so many stories. Yeah, we yeah, have literally no. it's a, it's only a good, scratched the It's a good place. Surface. It's a good pub. It, 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 like, you know, and, and irrespective of if it was me or if, it was, if I was involved in it or not, it's still a good pub. That it is. It is, yeah. Cheers to that. Thank you. Thanks very much. To subscribe to the Forager's free weekly food and wine email, go to indaily.com.au forward slash subscribe. And don't forget to look out for the SA Life Food and Wine List 2019. It's in newsagents now for more than 350 pages of the best of South Australian food and wine. I'm Nicole Huck. Thanks for listening. <laughs>